Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. strange thought that kind of tripped me out actually and um, sometimes when I have these insights or something that I see not for real but sort of see as inner seeing it freaks me out and I've had that happen a couple times lately and then when that happens I, I sort of say to myself not now, which just means that's not happening now. So I don't need to have like the next scary thought related to that thought. I don't know if that works, but it seems, it seems to, because it's difficult to, to embody having these sorts of inner visions and impressions that may or not may not be true they're almost like future predictions or possibilities and then some of them are a bit freaky and then if I get freaked out it could produce more freaky thoughts and then I could be just scared and terrorized by these possibilities so that's why I've been saying not now and I haven't had to do that very often but for example I had this sort of thought about how one day we'll probably be able to like upload ourselves into the cloud because we're uploading data and documents and everything so one day you know we'll probably be uploaded into the cloud and that was sort of related to simulation theory, which says chances are one day we'll be in a simulation version of reality. And if if that's true, then chances are we're already in a simulation, which is kind of weird. It's a good simulation. So I just related to that. I'm like, well, we're probably up in the cloud, which if we were all up in the cloud, we would be able to almost project infinite simulations as our cloud selves and basically if we all went up into the cloud as our cloud selves and then the earth got destroyed because it inevitably will be at this rate yet if a few humans survived eventually those few humans would probably go back to just living like the indigenous people did you know because everything else was destroyed or everything that was created by the mind of man didn't work out so it would almost be like okay let's not do that let's go back to being indigenous people and then eventually they would just be like the indigenous people again and the earth would restore itself to some extent and then all of a sudden maybe like the people from the cloud come back and that's like you know the appearance of the alien you know the alien species which basically came back and then you know maybe decided well let's put the genes back in the people that were indigenous um, in order for them to actually create again this world of man in the biology because um, you know, it's kind of boring up here in the cloud in infinite simulations and, and instant gratification. You know, we, we want to go back to the world where we don't know what's going to happen, where there's surprises, where, you know, everything feels real and material and everything. And then, you know, then they get to the point where it's like, oh, we're uploading ourselves into the cloud again. This sucks. 
well, let's wait for the earth to be restored and then we'll go back down and do it again. So I had that thought that, you know, people would go back to the indigenous nature and and then it was just sort of start all over again. And maybe that's already happened numerous times. If not, that would make a cool movie script, right? Another thing about connecting to this inner energy, this inner voice, this inner information that's producing different voices or different information or different thoughts, creativity, it's, to me, it's almost like the voice of nature and it's the voice of Gaia. And it's very distressing to see all the things that are happening to the earth and that's one of the things that causes these aberrant weird behaviors is that somebody's like in distress over all of this and instead of being able to communicate like oh my gosh look look like we're doing to the world and each other it's taken as this person is unwell but really we need a listening ear we need somebody to listen to us and not just talk us back into reality but also listen to some of the concerns because a lot of them aren't actually personal concerns if somebody was so concerned about themselves as a person they would probably be doing actions and behaviors to further themselves as a person as like a ego in society which that's what a lot of people are doing and most people are doing you know, and that's what success is measured by, but other people are connected to a different source of information that is telling them things that goes against society's ideas of success. So even if someone did hear it, it wouldn't be valued. It would just be like, well, that's whatever. But it's a different voice. It's like a voice of Gaia in my mind. And um, there's talk about the coherence of the heart. I've read a little bit on the heart coherence and it's probably related to like the HeartMath Institute. I haven't read anything by them, but I did come across a website, completecoherence.com, and it talks about if the heart is beating in coherence, then you have like positive emotions, and if it's incoherent, then it's negative. And when I think about being in altered states of consciousness where I'm extremely fearful and, and terrorized, my heart is beating, terrified, and it's, it's probably very incoherent, and I'm very scared. And, you know, if I'm in a state where I'm really happy and content and feeling balanced and centered, then my heartbeat is probably very coherent but if I had this contented feeling it'd be very difficult to at the same time experience emotional distress so what I realized what I saw what I sensed was that it's possible that this emotional distress this mania and psychosis is actually an electromagnetic imbalance its heart incoherence the heart is beating in terror and that's producing terrifying thoughts or even the other way around but thoughts are just sound which are vibration which are frequency which are energy and the heartbeat is also it's moving it's beating and it's producing electromagnetism and the electric field would be um, surrounding and going through the entire body and that's also related to breathing so a person will be like maybe breathing shallow or fast and erratically so I feel like a person has to like perceive something that's scary if it's a thought or an image inside, it then produces the terrifying um, electromagnetic field of the heartbeat, and it's difficult to change that. So if a person has the terrified heartbeat, extreme terror, there's electromagnetism, 
that's surrounding and going through the entire body. And now you have the release of chemicals, of biochemicals like cortisol and adrenaline. What I'm saying is, the electromagnetism creates the biochemicals. And then what's treated is the biochemicals. So maybe there's medications given to do whatever to change the biochemistry of the body. You know, they say it changes the biochemistry of the brain because it's a biochemical imbalance in the brain. Well, maybe there's an electromagnetic imbalance which is causing the release of the biochemicals. And so by just blocking the biochemicals, one's not getting to the root. What I'm saying is a person could maybe, and we already know this, like certain breathing calms a person down. Well, the breathing changes the heartbeat, the oxygen, and getting oxygen into the body relaxes the body, and then the biochemicals change. So a lot of it to me is just um, reacting to, say, a fearful thought, which is a vibration which produces the biochemicals. So again, why is somebody having these thoughts out of nowhere that aren't related to the present moment? Um, well, it could be that there's an accumulation of thoughts over time which moves somebody away from the present moment so far to the extent that it's almost like all of that added together now creates that next level of terrifyingness that imagine having say a hundred bad thoughts and all of a sudden that hundred bad thoughts over time creates one really terrifying image well instead of having to think the hundred bad thoughts now you just have to see that terrifying image so it as almost like created this conglomerate in the body um, psychosomatic organism that a person could potentially be triggered into reacting to and then having a very strong fearful reaction um, and that could go with trauma too that it's stored in a different way like it's one thing if something happens and say somebody you know sticks up the middle finger in traffic you think well that was a jerk what a jerk now that's a thought but if something terrible happens and it's like a one hour long ordeal that's stored more as like an image movie in the body than just that one little incident so in that way something more more big can be stored and can come up and create a lot of trouble so there's you know there's some apps there's an app called stress doctor and it's about breathing to create more coherence and there's also complete coherence but then you need a, a chest strap um, to do the coherence breathing stuff um, but how many of us don't even know how to breathe properly I remember once when I was in the psych ward I kept having these waking nightmares where I'd fall asleep but then I would immediately wake up and be having like a waking nightmare of some terrible kind and then this one night I was doing this breathing exercise that somebody had told me years ago and I was doing it and doing it and it's annoying to have to like focus so much on breathing but I fell asleep and I didn't have a waking nightmare and I didn't have any nightmares that night and that was the only time um, that I managed to do it. The other days I didn't manage to do the same amount of breathing or I hadn't figured it out yet and then after that I still I did it but not to the same extent but the one time that I did it got my breathing in order I didn't have that happen and it was pretty amazing that just the breathing stop that and there's even that holotropic breath work that's related to breathing and getting some of this stuff stored in us out of us so there's a lot there's a lot to that the breathing and the the heartbeat you know it's the physiology and that 
that incoherent physiology is creating some of these images and thoughts that we're being terrified of and they're, they're reinforcing it's reinforcing itself so I'm wondering like if I have some of that fear I could almost interrupt it with some of these physiological things that I can do and holotropic breathwork also talks about how the psyche is always moving us towards healing so these experiences they're a healing process it's not pleasant but it's a healing process and you know in a way it's like giving the universe the benefit of the doubt that it knows what we're doing and to me it seems like emotions are like stored gestures words experiences looks sounds physical injury if we had any and we use these experiences as memories to try and protect ourselves so if we're looking around in reality we can recognize something that we experienced and labeled as bad and these are these are stored patterns so we use all these so-called like bad experiences to protect us from bad experiences but by doing that we just keep accumulating more and more bad experiences instead of just letting things pass through us and and just you know giving the universe the benefit of the doubt and we just become so wound up and so tense with all these protections we think they're protection but really they're imprisoning us and we keep those memories to protect us and then accumulate more to protect us and then by keeping them in our memory we're seeing them when they happen again and then this puts us into fight or flight which then gives us the sort of poison chemicals of like fight or flight So by judging things as bad, we're actually poisoning ourselves. And I thought of a different term. Instead of fight or flight, how about it or light? It, as in all right, means it's neutral. And it's just like, well, it's all right. Just let it pass through. And light is energizing or uplifting or causing wonder or awe. So instead of using our eyes as a fight or flight, why not look for beauty and, and love and lightness and things that energize us? And those things that energize us are actually like the oxytocin experiences and the bonding. The other day I was walking on the street and under a tree sort of behind a hedge on some kind of public property there's a woman and a man and she was sleeping she was in a sleeping bag and it was kind of in a city like in a town that you don't see a lot of homeless people they, they don't really all hang around but so she sat up a bit she looked at me and she said good morning like and I said good morning and it was just wonderful because it was like I noticed her there and I wasn't thinking anything about um, she shouldn't be there or anything like that I just happened to notice because I heard her speaking to her, her friend her guy friend and so when she said good morning it was just like two human beings acknowledging each other not as me walking along the sidewalk and and her sleeping in a sleeping bag on a on a grass hill somewhere where she probably shouldn't be and she didn't even say it like this person's going to tell on me or any sort of concern about anything it was just it was just so nice and you know in a way she's free or 
I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was just good morning. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. And I was just I was just surprised. I was pleasantly surprised that I just received such a beautiful good morning from a beautiful person on a beautiful day in beautiful circumstances. It was such a gift. And And an, another thing I saw was uh, I was going to the grocery store and there was two teenage girls sitting on the sidewalk and and one of them was upset. She was crying, not out loud, but you, I could see she was crying. But I didn't really notice she was crying at first. I, I, what I saw was an older lady with white hair giving the young girl a package of portable tissues of Kleenex and you know she wasn't it was just very sweet you know older older generation woman you know giving her little pack of tissues to a young girl who was upset and I didn't really I didn't really see the girl or anything but when I walked out of the grocery store I just I smiled when I walked by her, I smiled, and she smiled. She was still visibly upset. Um, but it was just, to me, another beautiful moment. And I feel like looking for those, or being open to those, is amazing and there was actually a post on on Facebook a while ago and I don't really use Facebook I don't really know how properly but I came across this post that there was a man really upset and probably homeless maybe on something I don't know and he was on public transit on the train and a woman just reached up an older woman and just put out her hand and grabbed his hand and he basically went from being quite aggressive and angry and probably scaring people on the train to sitting down on the ground beside the woman holding her hand crying and somebody uh, just said like why did you do that? And she said he just needed his he just needs a mother or he just needs basically some love. You know, and that was just to me an example of the power of love. It's more powerful. Like if if she can do that, I don't understand why more people can't be helped when they're in these extreme states without undue force you know it's all about professional distance and all this stuff like we're human beings you know a, a need of human beings is love there's no there's no innate programmed need in human beings for violence even though that's what's glorified in the world now I wondered a while ago why someone going through an upswing of energy at some point becomes drained and I've talked about how it's almost like having one's battery charged and then drained within each interaction one has over time but I also thought about how those energetic states and that heart electromagnetic field produces, helps to produce the biochemicals which are some of the happy chemicals. So there's the tryptamines and DMT which I think is a tryptamine which I think is made in the pineal gland 
I'm wondering if this extra energy, this electromagnetism, is what creates the epigenetic changes to create the molecules of these other states, such as Ananda, what was it called? Anandamide, which is an inner cannabinoid. So all these exogenous things we like to take in order to change our state, say LSD, marijuana, we produce all of these exogenous things we take into our system within our system. To me, in the state of mania, the inner pharmacy gets going and creates these molecules that put us into these other states naturally. I didn't take anything extra to go into the state of mania, it just happened. And I'm wondering if this electromagnetic field is what ignites this other state and maybe causes the epigenetic changes to create these molecules. And I'm wondering if the state doesn't stay, if we burn out, if we get drained, because we don't have the right molecules, the right diet, for example, or the right vitamins, or we run out of certain minerals because we don't have the storage of them, or we don't progressively store up them by being in those states slightly. So what I'm saying is that state could have drained a lot of nutrition that we don't normally need because we're not usually in that heightened state. So for example, say in that state I was producing DMT and on a normal day-to-day -day basis I don't produce that much of it. Maybe that utilized a certain mineral or certain amino acids and caused an imbalance in those amino acids so then that would cause maybe imbalances in other amino acids and I'm just using this hypothetically but what I'm saying is it could have just been lack of the nutrient to make that thing to stay in that altered state or it could have been using up the ones but what I'm it could have even taken away from the ones we need for our sort of like quote-unquote normal waking consciousness so then when we come down off of it all of a sudden we have this sort of chemical imbalance and I'm not saying that's true or proven or anything because it's not but and I'm not saying biochemical imbalance in the brain per se but it could have short-circuited our brain I think it's more like an electromagnetic biochemical change and and I think too that that's where some of the healing of love from another person or care comes from because that changes the electromagnetism of our electric field because their field interacts with our field and then that coherence in our electromagnetism can actually bring back some of the biochemicals that we need in order to heal and that could be part of the healing power of relationship and laughter and connection you know maybe some of these if we create more oxytocin maybe that heals different things in the body that were um, unbalanced and I don't mean unbalanced as in like it's a permanent disease but it definitely creates shifts so I because I just wonder like why does a person get drained in mania like why does one not stay there forever like yes it gets dangerous but it also does sort of run its course. And um, and a person sometimes ends up, say, in depression. And it could just be that one's drained of minerals and essential nutrients that that state burned up. It's like a hyper-octane state. And, you know, that could be some of it is like oxygen getting the oxygen back in one's body and the oxygen is actually electrons and um, you know electromagnetism is electrons and so maybe when the electromagnetism goes down 
then a person is all of a sudden depressed from like lack of electrons or like lack of electromagnetism um, which it could be partly connection connection to other people connection to the earth because a lot of times in extreme states a person becomes more and more isolated by virtue of having their own personal little ideas and thoughts and wonder um, and sharing less and less of their experience with other people because you know if one can isolate because they're in a bad state but one can also isolate because they're in a good state thinking I don't need anybody this is wonderful I just have my own wonderness and wonderment but um, so yeah I'm very curious about that and I also feel like it could use a lot of a person's minerals so like the minerals are the active sites of enzymes and it could use up a lot of enzymes in the process of these states because there's so many more so many more synaptic reactions I'm guessing in the brain because so much is happening like firing up and all the synaptic all those reactions would utilize so many more amino acids and minerals to create those enzymes of and all of the all of these signaling molecules as well so it's almost like they just get kind of used up and one has to like regenerate but then what if one was able to not have to have them all used up um, and have this regeneration period and that could be part of the importance of sleep and if one is in a manic state oftentimes they're not getting sleep so they're not allowing any time for the brain to regenerate if the brain can regenerate eight to ten hours a night oh it's fine but if all of a sudden a person's sleeping two hours a night and the brain's not regenerating that could really really use the resources and then if they all get used up, it's no wonder a person feels depressed. It's because they don't have any reserves left of those molecules that they need in order to have a daily functioning. And I can also see that all those reactions in the brain are creating new neural networks. I remember having so many thoughts and ideas, I didn't know what to do with them all. And if I was to act on each one, I would need a million lifetimes in order to carry them all out. And I feel like that could almost be like this next level of the brain like growing and making all these new connections and making all these new connections. And then there has to be again a process of pruning, which is what am I gonna do with all this? So that could be part of like the crisis is that all the structure has been built but there needs to be some pruning so there's like a depression and a period of time where a person just really needs to rest so the brain can kind of like prune a person needs to be incapacitated to just sit there and not take in any new information by participating in society and going out on a daily basis and doing all these things because that'll just create neural networks and new associations and things so one just really needs to rest and let the brain prune and you know it's one thing to be able to have all those thoughts and insights and creativity creates such a brain structure that once rested a person going out about in daily reality will now have the connections to see more connections doesn't mean a person has to act on every single one but they can make new associations based on like this hyper brain growth and it could be a structure in the brain that is almost like invisible to the human eye we can't even see it so dr. Dan Siegel talks about how the mid prefrontal cortex relational fibers go missing in somebody with bipolar maybe they were always missing or maybe they disconnect and in my mind, you know, why do we have why are we missing these relational fibers which we need to relate to society? To me, it's almost like the society we've all created is not sustainable. 
It's a society based on power, growth, materialism, um, you know, fame, fortune, all these things that are actually quite antisocial. And, you know, yet we call that the relational mind. What I'm trying to say is these relational fibers that are missing actually might go missing by design because we're not meant to relate to that structure of society that is actually quite superficial. We're not supposed to reintegrate in that. We're not supposed to keep participating in that. That's one of the reasons why it cuts us off from that. But I feel like this hyper-associative learning phase might actually grow different areas of the brain that maybe aren't discovered or different pathways of the brain that aren't discovered yet or maybe can't be seen or maybe it's actually about getting rid of some of those areas of the brain and that's better than actually growing brain cells is getting rid of some of the brain cells that are actually the ones responsible for how we relate together that's actually destroying each other so I feel like too that after this potential brain growth or new new connections when I was talking earlier about how some people if we store our memories of our hurts and sadnesses and how what that's doing is it's allowing us to perceive more and more of that and then I talked about how when I go out oftentimes I see something very beautiful like someone being kind and saying hello or you know a big fat spider in his web that he just finished creating and that's lovely and then the next level is all this brain growth from say a manic state which created all these hyper associations that I can't necessarily act on all within this lifetime but what I'm saying is it creates all of that for me to possibly see out in reality now it creates that for me to relate to as opposed to my own past hurts. And actually when I do go into seeing reality mirrored with my own past hurts, that's when I go into psychosis. So it's like my my hurts and my traumas and whatever that are still there somewhere but I don't think about on a daily basis if it gets resonated with well then I'm gonna see more of that but usually I just see beauty and and good stuff so I'm wondering if these states of mania actually create and change the brain neuroplastically to dis associate from consensus reality to some extent which some of us need to do if the species is going to survive and actually associate with different thoughts or thoughts that came from a different order of reality which was not one's own authorship it didn't the thoughts I had I didn't they were new they were something new. There were new insights and seeing new things and new associations. They weren't something that I thought of like by just, oh, thinking. Didn't work that way. So I feel like it actually is like a brain changing process. So it, it grows our brain in a certain way and then it makes us crash so we can integrate it and it's it's very it's difficult but at the same time you know it's almost like the universe is desperate to grow brains like this because it'll grow it make us crash and then we usually get pathologized because of that and then got, get put on medication which is trying to prevent it from happening again um, when I feel like harvesting some of the point of all of it is some of the protection in terms of the altruistic feelings and, and getting with that in daily reality. So 
there's that um, idea that designing altruism into services is a good thing for helping people because one of the fastest ways to feel better is actually to do something for somebody else. So say I put in a hundred pounds of effort, whatever that means, into my own personal recovery by changing this and doing that and doing this. I might only get this far, whereas if I put 10 pounds of effort into helping someone else, I might get this far. So I don't know where I got that measurement, but basically I'm just trying to say that the altruism or helping other people might be what it might be what the state is trying to get us to move towards so by moving towards that in daily reality after that means we've gotten the message and we're being congruent and coherent with what the entire point of the entire process was and I'm not saying that's the only point but it's some of the point and that to me is self-evident with the fact that so many of us in the state give stuff away, do nice things, try to be kind, and then at some point we get like pissed off because the world's not like that. And not everyone's like that and then we see people doing stupid shit and we get mad. And then, or we start thinking, well I'm the greatest and then, well, that's not the point of it. It's not I'm the greatest. It's you gotta be great to help everybody. Not I'm great for my own personal feeling and gratitude gratification so um, so yeah that's just some thoughts I had about it these things I kind of see by by just asking questions or really looking into something and I've done some studying about things and I just like to share them and talk about them because I find it interesting and I'm not gonna go out there and do a scientific study on it because that would be like, okay, every single idea or thought I have, if I was to do a scientific study on it, I would need like a million lifetimes. And I don't have that, so I would just like to share it. Just share the thought. Just share the idea. It's interesting, you know, connecting the breath to the heartbeat, to the electromagnetism, to the electrons, to the minerals, which are a positive charge. And, um, Oh, I even had this thought that I even had this thought that lithium taking so much lithium, which is a mineral, which is a positive charge, might actually inhibit some of the active sites of the enzymes that participate in putting a person into a manic state or like a more depressed state. So it might keep somebody stable by say there wasn't so much lithium but there was the spectrum of minerals necessary the body biochemistry might start having the proper amounts of minerals for the active sites for the enzymes um, to create certain biomolecules that might put, put a person into the hyperperceptive manic state and so it's almost like the heaviness it's like a heavy metal like keeping a person down and grounded or it could be we don't have enough minerals and the lithium is being a mineral to keep us balanced or something but and also a mineral just having so much lithium in the system is like one frequency minerals are frequencies of light and it's like one frequency of light instead of and it's a big one that's like blocking all the other little frequencies of light and a person in 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 mania is kind of like more fluid on the spectrum of behavior and it's like me it's like it's like lithium keeps behavior like in that narrow band of who you are this is who you're supposed to be as a person in this society i've also heard that I don't want to use the word, but say mental illness exists between people. So it doesn't exist in a person, but in the relationship or sort of the space between. And I was thinking about how we have our own selves and as we're walking around in daily reality, there's like this space 
between us and whatever it is we're seeing. And usually when we're seeing something, we're judging it. And so we're seeing the thing, so it's another person. And then the judgment is actually in the space. It's sort of like, it's filling, it's flavoring the entire space around us, this judgment that we might be having of another person. And that goes with what I was talking about before, about how our thoughts, our words, our vibrations are actually affecting the fabric of reality, which is space. And so this judgment feeling of somebody is actually also infecting the space. And the, the judgment is words. It's also a feeling, so it's just infecting this space. And if you think, well, judgment's in the space, um, happiness is in the space, but if we're choosing to walk around judging, it's judgment. And so if we have this collective space full of judgment, full of anger, full of hate, full of the whole spectrum from good to bad, you know, at some point a person might manifest, say, mental illness. Well, judgment and all that negativity is kind of a mental illness. It's like, it's not good, but since it's invisible, we think it's okay. And then a person with a quote-unquote mental illness might be like judging themselves or hating themselves to the point where they're self-harming. But if we're all doing that, and then some people get to the point where it's they're doing it too much they could be picking up on other people's judgments because it's in the space the judgment of people like their family members against them it's in the space and all of that a person ends up manifesting a so-called mental illness but it's in the space so it's not just the person it's it's all those vibrations in the space and the relationship between two people. What I'm saying with this is not so much about how a person can manifest it as a mental illness, supposedly, but we're each responsible for this space that we have. Each relationship and each moment of each day that we have, we're responsible for creating that space. And what kind of space are we creating? And if we're creating judgmental space, we're adding to stigma judgment discrimination on every level of society so we're actually causing this in other people and in ourselves it's not someone else is just diseased in the head no it's like all in the space in the vibration and that's why just the love connection and relationship and understanding and dialogue can actually heal people of these ailments because it's the opposite of what the opposite of what caused them to sort of funnel down into those lower spaces of existence I had another thing that I thought was kind of interesting and that was basically that I've I've talked a bit before about how I never took on the diagnosis of having a mental illness so I took on the diagnosis, but I didn't take on the mental illness. So yes, I'm a person living with a diagnosis. Yes, a doctor did give me a diagnosis. An expert professional said this is what you have. Here's your diagnosis. And it's a mental illness. And I'm okay with having a diagnosis, but I don't necessarily ascribe to having a mental illness. And that's why I like to think about it in a lot of different ways because um, I think there's actually, you know, thousands of more ways of looking at it that are really infinite and complex and beautiful than just mental illness. So when I was talking before about how words are vibration so if I kept saying in my own mind mental illness that's like a vibration that's going to change my brain cells it's going to change the neuropeptides my brain makes and my body makes and it's almost going to um, it's almost going to really solidify that in my body so I never 
I never did accept that and I still don't. It could be that the doctors think that I am, but I don't. And probably most people I meet wouldn't think that that's true in talking to me. They wouldn't be able to tell anything's wrong. Um, so the system thinks that, because they're the ones that see me when I'm unwell, and some of my friends. But, um, but I don't think that, and I'm not trying to say that as denial, but I just, I don't even think it's healthy for me to think that way. Because I feel like the paradigm will change, and one day they won't see it that way. So in my mind, I'm just sort of like ahead of the game with that. And doesn't mean I don't accept help if I need, if I'm in distress. Yes, I have distress, big time, and I need help. And maybe the help is in the paradigm of mental illness, and that's fine. But they don't need to know that um, I don't feel like that's a good description of it. It's not even a description, it's a term. It's an, like an umbrella term. But basically what I'm trying to say here is that if I was to say that to myself all the time, it would affect my heart electromagnetic field, right? So I made my I put up a wall against that and I didn't let my heart beat beat with the thought that that's what I have. And in that, I didn't change my physiology to reflect the fact that that's what I think. And I'm just saying I didn't let the diagnosis affect my heart. Because a lot of what I connected with in those other states of consciousness were all heart things, heart-centered things, altruism, or even the terror of being traumatized, which, you know, a trauma is like it hurts your heart. If, if you physically survive, it hurts your heart what trauma is and so I didn't let the diagnosis affect those heart things I didn't let it explain away the heart stuff that I experienced and I really feel if I do have a disease I have a disease of my heart and um at times my heart does get diseased and that goes back to what I was saying about the incoherent beat and the electro the electromagnetic field in my heart gets it changes when I'm terrified and a lot of what I experience when I'm terrified is um, some of the the terrified things of the collective you know it's not it's like we share one heart We have all these different brains, but we really share one heart. Like, you can't do a brain transplant, but you can do a heart transplant. And even some, they say a lot of memories are actually stored in the heart. So maybe there are certain memories that are stored in our hearts. It's almost like, it's almost like quantum growing pains. Like the quantum field is a different, it's a different source. I, When I talked about the brain growth in mania that we maybe don't see, our brains could actually maybe get smaller, but maybe we get new different types of brain cells or something that are smaller because um, like quantum computation and quantum processors are smaller so there could be quantum effects going on in the brain that we can't pick up on yet and it may appear that we're losing brain cells and things but really really we're not I talked in another video about 
how only together are we immune against psychiatry and it's kind of funny to think that we could have herd immunity against psychiatry and I think of the word herd as it's meant in herd immunity but then I also think of it as herd as in h-e-a-r-d as in hearing so if we're listening to each other if we're hearing each other if we're sharing our memes and our thoughts and our ideas if we're sharing our hearts not just the memes of 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 the shit we've been through through all this uh, but the memes that we had when we were connected with our hearts at some point which might be a long time ago for some people because of being far removed from that experience but basically you know a lot of us are sad that our hearts were taken away in a way and so I feel like we need herd immunity it's not just us standing together but it's us standing together and talking and understanding each other and and sharing with each other and just holding space for each other that non-judgmental space that we can hold for each other because we've been there you know there is no judgment we've been there I also thought of mania as sort of disorganized kindness and it's almost like a kindness disorder and mania gives us different reasons to be happy we're sort of happy from within for no reason just perceiving beauty and the wonder of the world and lastly I just want to talk about something I mentioned at the beginning of this video which was that words are kind of the problem and our words are destroying us and I talked about several ways this is so or possible and biology wants us to survive and so I've talked about too how children who develop autism are somewhat immune to words and and words are using us so it, it seems important for certain people to be immune to words so words can't use children with autism and there's a lot of different theories about what causes it to develop and one of them for example is say antibiotic use so it's like we've gotten to this point where we're using so much antibiotics and pretend that is a factor I don't know for sure now if the antibiotics destroy the microorganisms and then basically a child can't learn words antibiotics are destroying words so by destroying the germs the germs are destroying the words and the words destroy us so it's kind of interesting that we've gotten to this point that whatever it is toxic stuff toxic you know food toxic air you know going against nature with antibiotics and all these things that go against nature we're now producing children who can't pick up language in the same way and it's language that has created all this mess by all the rational theories and all the logic but the logic is destroying the nature but our own logic is now destroying our own logic because we're having kids that won't be able to be so logical and thus maybe prevent logic from completely destroying the world or at least they won't care as much when a lot of what we value gets destroyed because they won't really value it they might actually be the ones to destroy it seeing that it's completely valueless so it could be interesting 
you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.